Well, good morning. Um, Dee and I have been asked to talk about our mission experiences um, over the years. And this will be an interactive uh, session where we're asking each other some questions. So Neville, how did your interest in missions begin? Well, I grew up in a church um, where there were many missionaries uh, came through and I had the opportunity to um, hear many of their experiences. In our early married life, we went to YWAM, Youth with a Mission. We did a discipleship training school. And um, that was obviously about discipleship and um, a lot about world missions. And we were strongly encouraged when we were to go back and finish our school. We were encouraged to not just go back and think we're going back to the normal, what we were always doing, but to seek God for a real vision for our lives. And so Dee, what impact did uh, YWAM have on you? Well, our time at YWAM at Youth With A Mission came at a crucial time in our lives where we were looking for a new direction. We had six months away from our normal lives. Three months of that was for Bible teaching and ministry and three months was an outreach phase. And the teaching that really impacted me during this time was learning about the Father heart of God, hearing the voice of God and understanding the fear of the Lord. And those concepts were, were ones that I wasn't so familiar with. So it was a great learning and understanding time for me. There was also a strong emphasis on intercession and missions, which impacted our lives to where we are today. So Neville, what got you interested in overseas missions? Well, within about eight months of coming back from YWAM, I had an opportunity to uh, go overseas on a mission trip. And I never thought in my wildest dreams I'd be going to a third world country and particularly India. And I read recently um, a comment from Hudson Taylor, that very well-known pioneer missionary to China, and he said, there are three stages in any great work of God. Firstly, it's impossible. Secondly, it's difficult. And thirdly, it's done. And I was at that time, I was at that impossible stage in my thinking, but I knew God was drawing me. I thought it was impossible because, well, I thought, well, I'm nothing special. There are plenty of other people who, in my view, were more qualified than me, had perhaps greater giftings. And I thought of, um, of course, Moses, some of those Old Testament characters, Moses, Gideon, and Jeremiah, they all had excuses as to why they couldn't do what God was asking them. Moses, of course, said he couldn't speak very well. Uh, Gideon, he said, well, I'm the least of the least. And Jeremiah, of course, said he was too young. But I knew that God was doing something in my life. Because two years previously, I'd been praying to God and asking him to give me a greater desire for him and to show me what was important in life. And I sensed that God was answering that prayer. And sometimes when you pray big prayers, I guess sometimes we think, well, is God really going to 
answer that prayer. And I suddenly realised the impossible was starting to come to pass. And this drove me to study the Bible and um, I had to prepare messages because every time I went overseas I was being asked to to talk and, and share. And um, that was a, a really wonderful training ground. And I had choices. I could have said, well, this is, this is very difficult and all time consuming. But someone says that, um, I read somewhere some time ago, that if you have a passion for your dream, the price tag won't stop you. And so Mercy Aid was born. And so Dee, what activities is Mercy Aid involved with and where? Well, we partner with Christians in a number of countries, including India, Myanmar, Uganda, and Indonesia. And our involvement includes teaching, leading pastors' conferences, which we do two of a year in India, support for orphans, widows, and refugees, drilling water wells, building toilets, financing micro-businesses, and providing agricultural inputs, such as goats, cows and seed for growing crops. So Neville, why are these countries? Well, mission researchers tell us that there are about 2.8 billion uh, people in the world that have never heard the gospel. And the great majority of those are in the 1040 window. The 1040 window being 10 to 40 degrees latitude north. And it's, of course, where the greatest number of the poor live and it's where the majority of Muslims, Hindus and Buddhists live. So this 1040 window is a place of huge need. And you know, we live in a world of over 7 billion people. And surprisingly, the majority of these people are non-Western, non-white and non-Christian. And certainly a growing disparity between rich and poor. And people across the world are crying out in desperation for help. And uh, more so during this COVID-19 crisis. And we, those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, we are the ones who are tasked with bringing the good news of Christ to these people. And God hasn't turned his back on them because he sent us. And there is a real urgency in the world today because of the condition of the world. That Old Testament character, Nehemiah, it's interesting. When he heard the report of how the walls of Jerusalem were broken down, how the gates were burned, he wept, he prayed and he fasted. This was personal and it spurred him to action. And it's a question for us today. Does the state of the world spur us to action. Nehemiah was a man of vision, a man of prayer, and a man of action. He was a doer. And you know, the gospel has been given, the gospel that has been given, is God's new way of living. And the power of this gospel was announced by Jesus in a synagogue in Nazareth when he was on earth. And he actually made an audacious claim. He made an outrageous promise that the good news 
would be preached to the poor. And we see that in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, which says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. You know, Jesus made that promise, and it's now up to us and his church to deliver on that. This was God's plan to change the world, and we are the ones to bring that change. During this current virus, our friends overseas are telling us that people are more afraid of dying of hunger than what they are of the virus. And so how do you see the world around you? What do you see as your part in all of this? And do we understand God's expectations for each one of us? And so D, what has God been showing and teaching you through um, our time of going? Well, going to other countries has certainly given me a greater perspective and appreciation for the needs of others. And I'm so thankful for the opportunities that God has given us to go. Seeing the difficult lives that others live with has taught me to pray more and to give more to the needs of my brothers and sisters in other lands. As I hear about the persecution and daily struggles that they face, I pray for courage and for boldness, and most of all, that their faith won't fail, and that's something that they ask us to pray. God has taught me that we are blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. I heard a quote recently which said, our faith gets strengthened when we do missions, and we've certainly found this to be true. As God takes us out of our comfort zone, we have to trust him in ways we wouldn't have to at home. Our last trip challenged us in ways we hadn't experienced before. We left Australia when the coronavirus was just starting to have an impact. Prior to our going, we kept asking God if we should go. God didn't close any doors, so we went. We knew we were meant to go, but didn't quite know how things were going to work out but God was so faithful and arranged everything so that we were able to achieve what we needed to in a small window that God allowed. During this trip, we were very aware that the enemy was trying to unsettle us and we continually had to claim God's peace. And it's at times like this when God tests our hearts to see if we will trust him and not be afraid. And one verse that we regularly declared was from Psalm 46 verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever present in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We found doing missions isn't just about what God does through us, but it's also what God wants to do in us and he is always wanting to teach us new things. Never what has God been teaching and showing you through our visits? I'm reminded of the words of Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 14, where he says, this is Paul speaking, I have a duty to perform and a debt to pay, both to Greeks and to barbarians, the cultured and the uncultured, both to the wise and to the foolish. And the debt Paul is talking about here is his call to preach the gospel. And Paul views himself as a servant of Christ. In fact, some versions in the Bible talk about 
bondservant. And I think today we've lost perhaps the meaning of what it is to be a bondservant. And a bondservant really is someone who is owned and is a slave. And I have a strong sense that I owe people of the world the duty to take the whole gospel to them and to give a faithful demonstration of what that gospel is all about. And you know, the gospel has come to us because it's on its way to somebody else. In our early days, I never really quite understood that what visiting makes or the impact that visiting makes. Many people used to say to us and still do say to us, we are so thankful that you came and you could be with us. Thank you. And in these countries, there are Christian folk who are sick in their bodies, don't have jobs, live in squalid conditions. I see and I speak to orphans and widows who are desperate for a chance in life, whether it is enough food to eat or for education. And I come back home here to Australia, this wonderful country that we live in, the abundance that's all around us, and I find myself having to constantly pray, Lord, soften my heart that I may see the world as you see it. So how does all of this tie in with God's command to love our neighbour? I think we all know the first and greatest commandment, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind and our strength. And the second one is loving our neighbour as ourselves. You know, the second commandment can often seem like a, a real radical command because we all have this inbuilt human trait to love ourselves. We all have a powerful instinct for self-preservation. We all want to be happy. We all want meaningful activity in our lives. We all want food to eat and house to live in. And so as Jesus is commanding us to love our neighbour, it perhaps means things like, as we long for food, we should long for food for our neighbour. As we long for clothes, we should want our neighbour to have clothes. As we desire a place to live, we should want our neighbour to have a place to live in. As we want good education, we should want that for our neighbour and ourselves. And the question, who is my neighbour? Of course, as we know, has been asked before. It was asked in the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. And in that parable, we see the religious Jews completely ignoring the injured, man, the injured man on the road. They didn't love God and they certainly didn't love their neighbour. Then we see an outcast, a Samaritan, who came along. He did the right thing. He saw this injured man and he had compassion. He took the time to go over, to check him, to bind up his wounds. He helped him to an inn, told the innkeeper to look after him. And when he came back, if the innkeeper had spent more, then the Good Samaritan said, I'll repay you. You know, that was lavish love. And at the end of the parable, Jesus says, this isn't about who your neighbour is. This is about what kind of person are you? Are you a neighbour who shows mercy towards others? And so Dee, can you share some stories of, uh, of your 
our trips overseas. Mm, sure can. Several years ago, we walked into a remote village in North India via a goat track where I can't imagine white people would have hardly been. And we had a small meeting in someone's home, not a house like we live in. It was a very simple um, mud hut, really. And we were able to share an encouraging word with the believers and pray for their needs. But walking back from that village, God showed me that just making the effort to visit these people was very special. The fact that we came from the other side of the world to their village meant more to them than we will ever know. And we've learned over the years how important our visits are and the importance of continuing to go back. It shows that we care. In India, we regularly hear stories of people who, of Hindus who have come to know Christ. These people share about the sicknesses in their lives and how they've given much money at the Hindu temples to try and appease their gods. This, of course, doesn't work. But it's when they meet Jesus that their lives are changed. They become healed and set free from demon possession. Hallelujah. And at last they find true peace and purpose for their lives. Their hardships don't go away, but they know that Jesus is with them to help them. Some women have shared their stories of being told to leave the home when they become Christians. The Hindu husbands don't want them anymore. These women choose to hold on to Christ and their newfound faith, as the peace that they experience is like nothing they have ever known. Their lives are hard, but Jesus means everything. God is at work in the nations, and we feel privileged to visit and see and hear what God is doing. The trip we had to Jordan was another eye-opener. Here we spent time with an organisation who were helping refugees from Syria and other neighbouring countries. We were able to visit these people who had to leave everything behind. We helped to hand out basics like clothing, clean water, food, blankets. These people were Muslim, but they were very happy for us to go into their homes to pray for them. We heard their stories of the trauma that they'd experienced through war. Some of them were full of fear still. And we continue to pray that these refugees will be drawn into the kingdom as God's people are his hands and feet and the good news is shared with them. Neville, can you share some of your stories? Yeah, sure. Um, our partners in Uganda work with many orphans and they have told us when we've been over there, they said it's a traumatic thing to work with children who always have tears in their eyes whenever they meet them. Children who are desperate for an education, desperate for people to care for them, take an interest in them, to visit them. One actual story um, of a child, she says, when my parents died of AIDS, poverty hit hard. Neighbours hate us because we're constantly knocking on their doors, begging. Relatives look at us as a burden and don't like us visiting. While we were meeting with a teenage girl who we're helping into higher education, she said this, 
Now I know that God has not forgotten me. And this is the reason why we keep going back to these countries. It's another story, one of the um, hundred or so pastors that we regularly have conferences with over in India. His name is Ramesh. He had quite a, quite a sad uh, background uh, to his story. He was a Hindu. Uh, his wife and two children became very sick and his children died. Someone told him to take his wife to a Hindu priest for healing because he was Hindu at the time. And he was also to take along five chickens and a bottle of alcohol. And the priest went to down to the side of the river, performed the rituals. And the priest says, don't worry, everything will be okay. He later took two goats to sacrifice. After five days, nothing happened. After 10 months, nothing happened. And he used most of his money for sacrifices to give to the priest. But eventually he took his wife to the hospital. The doctors told him that nothing could be done and that his wife would die. But someone told Ramesh to go to a pastor in the district for prayer. So he took his wife and she stayed at the pastor's house for four days and they prayed for her over those four days. And during that time, she began to improve. Ramesh was afraid of becoming a Christian because his father was still a Hindu priest. But because he saw that Christ could heal, he believed. His wife is now completely healed and they have two more daughters. And this man, Ramesh, started a small fellowship group in his home, but the persecution in his village became very heavy. The village people wanted to kill him. And one day he was out in his field and the whole village came at him from the four corners of his field. And they beat him until he fell to the ground. They wanted to burn him. His sister came to his rescue, but she was beaten as well. And then his mother came and she was also beaten. In the village, he says there are a lot of pressures. He says, I'm willing to die and I will not yield to the pressure of these people. He's still leading a group of Christians who meet regularly. But he asked for prayer and I thought it was an amazing prayer. He said, please pray for me because I want to go to another village with the gospel. And I'm blessed to meet people like this. They are giants. I believe they're giants in the kingdom of God. And this group of pastors that we work with, they've planted over 65 churches in unreached villages since we've been um, partnering with them. And these ones remind me of why I need to give my best efforts for the kingdom of God. And this is the reason we go to these places. And for us, it's a small price to pay compared to the price that these people pray in being persecuted for their faith. Martin Luther said, the world does not need a definition of religion. It needs a demonstration. And you know, for us, God expects much more than church attendance, more than belief, even more than prayer. And all these are very good things. 
but God requires us to be partners in bringing change to the world. We sent funds recently to Myanmar, which provided emergency food relief for over 400 people. We did something similar in India as well, because so many over there have lost their jobs through this COVID-19 virus. And of course, there's no welfare for people in many of these countries. And so a small amount can go a long way. And as we all play our part, the job gets done. Let's not be known for just discussion and talk, but let's show love, compassion, and most important, action. You know, at the close of life on Judgment Day, God won't ask what kind of clothes you wore. He'll ask, who did you help clothe? He won't ask if you ate in fancy restaurants. He'll ask, did you feed the hungry? He won't ask what kind of house you lived in. He'll ask, did you love your neighbours? He won't ask how much money you made. He'll ask how much money you gave. And so loving our neighbour is going to cause inconvenience, disruption, suffering, and it'll be costly. But you know, if God is the fountain of our joy and happiness, it won't be that hard. So what are some practical things that we can do? It's good to think of practical things that we can do. And, and I think, firstly, we need to pray and ask God for forgiveness for our own sin and the complacency that, that all of us uh, drift into so easily. We need to ask God for a revelation of his purposes in the world and how we fit in with that. Don't think things are impossible. I thought that and I was wrong. God is the God of the breakthrough. He's the one who deals with impossibilities. I think we need to pray regularly for our brothers and sisters who are in crisis. We need to also pray into world issues and events. And I think there's an urgency that we need to take hold of. We need to pick up the pace, pick up the passion, not get bogged down in detail, but understand and see God's big picture. And we need to live God's story, not our own story. It's important too, I think, that we make ourselves available to God. We need to be willing to go into the world. Remember what Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. And it's important that we do take opportunities when they come, because sometimes when we miss them, they won't come around again. I think it's important that we are generous givers, particularly to the poor and the persecuted. I think too it's important that we study the scriptures to understand what God requires of us. And often as we study the word and read it for ourselves, God will give us that revelation that will spur uh, passion and action within us. And I think we should be like Nehemiah. Let's be people of vision, of prayer, and of action. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we know you. Lord, help us to love you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength and to love our neighbour as ourselves. And Father, we do pray for your forgiveness where 
at times we slip into complacency and we just easily drift along. And Lord, we do pray for a revelation of your purposes and, and how we can fit in with you. And Lord, help us not to think, think all this is impossible because Lord, you delight in making impossible things possible. And Father, give us an urgency. Lord, help us to um, be passionate. Lord, not to get bogged down in, in small minor things, but to see your big picture. And Lord, help us to live your story, not our own. Lord, to be available to you, to be generous in all of our giving. And Lord, like Nehemiah, to be people of vision, prayer and of action. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi everyone. I love hearing stories about what God is doing overseas in the lives of, of men and women. And, uh, and I think we all love to hear the stories there, but what we need to realise is that the stories don't need to be our focus on, on what's happening. The stories need to be an inspiration as we look forward and a good reminder that each one of us can make a difference in the lives of people around us, whether it's overseas or whether it's locally. And, uh, and Neville shared at the start of the message how he became interested in missions. He grew up in a church where missions was often talked about, where they had people coming, and, uh, and they often, he, he heard about the experiences. I remember him making a comment, he heard about the experiences that people went through. Uh, he, he and Dee also went to YWAM, and, and he were able to experience life there and, and to hear the teaching and the ongoing training. But I believe that uh, through everything they did, that God had a plan and a purpose for them was exposing them to, to what he had in store, to, uh, to, to shape their lives and, and get them excited and challenged for what God was doing. Uh, for, the, for the future, because God has a plan and purpose for each and every one of us. And um, and I love sitting there with Neville, I've done it a few times, where we talk about some of the things they've done, and just, just hearing uh, hearing the stories, and, and we have it so easy here uh, within Australia. People overseas, they don't have the benefits we do, and a lot of them really struggle with COVID-19 as well. Uh, a lot of them, have their, their finances have been impacted, and you know, we live in a, in a country where we're blessed to have our government support us in a lot of ways and, and able to provide financially for us. But a lot of these people have nothing. And, and so I want to really encourage you, uh, if you if you feel to give, go to our church website, go to the giving link on there. Uh, as you make a, a donation there through the giving page, the link is on the screen, make sure you put the reference there that it's for the missions so that we can actually allocate that uh, to really help them in the work that they're doing because uh, Neville and Dee do a great work overseas, they touch an incredible amount of lives. There's, there's so many things that they do and, and, and get involved in in people's lives overseas. So I want to encourage you to, to be a part of what they're doing. You might not feel like I can go overseas and, and do some of this work, but we can be involved here. You might reach out and touch people within our own community here. You may feel financially to contribute. You may feel to, to pray for them on a regular basis. So I just want to encourage you, make sure that, that you don't just leave it at hearing another sermon but continue to pray into the work that's been done. Continue asking God, God, do I need to give? Do I need to, to do anything else here beyond what I'm doing? Because you can make a difference too. You may not go overseas, but you can make a difference right here in Australia. And uh, and I want to really encourage you. And I just want just want us to pray together as we just wrap up. But I want to encourage you not just to leave it here, but bring this before God. God, how can I be involved? What can I do 
to continue the valuable work of what's been done in many, many lives overseas. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for, uh, for what we heard today. We want to thank you for the lives that have been impacted through Mercy Aid International. Lord, I thank you for the call on Neville and Deep. I pray that you will continue to use them to touch lives. Lord, continue to use them to reach out and train leaders and, and, and continue to set those things in play for lives to be touched. Lord, we thank you for the work of your ministry. Father, we ask that you challenge people to, to continually pray, to continually uh, get behind, to financially support, to, to do what is necessary, Lord, to allow your work to continue in these places. We want to thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness in our lives, and we just we pray your blessing on, on them, on Mercy Aid International, on the contacts that they have, and, and the pastors and leaders that they continually minister with overseas. Lord, guide them through this time, protect them through this time, provide for them through this time, and Lord, where necessary, use us to be a part of that process. Lord, we just bless you, we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Have a wonderful week. I want to encourage you again. Keep praying. Ask God how I can be involved. But as you go out of this, uh, out, of, out of wherever you are today, go on and continue to touch lives. Continue to, to be a, making a difference in the lives of people you come in contact with every day. COVID may, may still have limitations and things affecting us, but we can still impact lives. Get on the phone, send emails, talk to people, be the difference in someone's life today. God bless.